Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14. We'll be looking there in John chapter 14 again. This morning we will begin reading in verse 21, John 14 and verse 21, and we'll go down to verse 25. John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, <clears throat> how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. We have already seen this truth taught in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 14, verse 15, our Lord already told us, If you love me, keep my commandments. From that text and others, I have taught you the difference between obedience given with regard to gaining from God some blessing or another, doing what you do out of a duty in order to get from God some blessing or another, and the difference between obedience given from the heart with a sincere desire to please God for what He has already bestowed upon you. Because God has already given you something the heart is changed and you love him. And because you love him, you want to obey him. What a difference of lifestyle these two things are. I've also taught that God has loved his children with an everlasting love. From before the foundations of the world, God has set his love upon us. And in eternity future, it will still be there. Secondly, I've also taught his love has been freely bestowed upon each of his children by his grace, according to his mercy, and not according to our works. And thirdly, I have taught his love for his chosen ones will never change. It never diminishes. It has remained constant and sure from before the foundations of the world. So, while keeping these things in mind, I want to once again visit our Lord's instructions to His faithful and obedient disciples concerning their need to possess and keep His commandments, verse 21, and to possess and keep His word in verse 23. He has said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. So there's necessity to possess them, to have them, and to keep them. The first thing we need to see is that we cannot keep the commandments 
We cannot keep the Word of God unless we have it. You see that? He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. We have to have them first. And the world does not have nor do they keep his commandments or his word. The world does not have that. And neither do they keep it. Many religious denominations do not have nor do they keep his commandments or his word. Our Lord's word given to the Jews who were rejecting him in John chapter 5 and verse 38 is this. John 5 and verse 38. He says, you have not his word abiding in you. You have not his word abiding in you for whom he has sent him you believe not. What is the evidence of a religion or a person of the world not having God's word in them? They do not believe in Jesus Christ. They say they have God's word and they do this or that or the other. But if they will not commit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they do not have God's word abiding in them. This is true of all the religions of the world. Every religion that teaches or men may attempt to gain heaven by their works. All religions of the world, whether they profess to be Christians or not, this is true of them, Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or even some who say they're Christians, but who say that it's necessary to work to gain salvation. This is true of all of them. They do not have God's word abiding in them. Every attempt to gain heaven, except by grace, through repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, ends in failure. Ends without the truth of God's word being part of their life. Always will lead to failure and to ultimately to destruction. The instruction of our Lord in John 14, 21 is for those who are believers. Those who are followers. Those who have been forgiven, who have already been declared righteous by faith and declared justified before God. Our Lord is instructing those who are his true, faithful, and obedient followers. He is addressing those to whom he has already promised to send the Holy Spirit of truth so that they may be led into further truth. He is addressing those who he has promised not to leave spiritual, without spiritual oversight. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as an orphan is left without oversight. He is addressing those who already have the spiritual ability to know and see God. Last week we saw that. They do not see him, but you know him and see him. Remember last week? They cannot receive him, but you know him and you see him. He's addressing those people, these faithful and obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
already have his commandments written upon their hearts because they have been born again. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, we read of this promise. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 and 17. I put my laws there when they are born again. I write them upon their minds. They have an understanding. They have my word with them. Their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more because I have saved them and I have in saving them put my word in them. These faithful and obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have lived more than three years with him. And they have proven themselves to have a heart to obey him and a heart that desires to continue with him. In John chapter 6, they were faced with a question as to whether or not they would stop following the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you also go away, he said. John chapter 6. They responded in John 6, verse 68 and 69 with these words. John 6, 68 and 69. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. If we leave you, where are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words that have to do with everlasting life. Where are we going to go to find words that lead us to everlasting life if we go away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Our Lord had already taught them in John chapter 8 that true Christianity included continuing in his word. John 8 and verse 31 and verse 32. John 8, 31 and 32. Our Lord said to them, then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It's the continuance in the Word of God that defines a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord's testimony was that those to whom He is speaking in John 14, in verse 21, had kept His Word. Go with me over to John chapter 17, verse 6. John 17 and verse 6. I want you to see these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning these men to whom he is speaking at this point. John 17 and verse 6 says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And... They have kept thy word. This is our Lord's prayer. As he is addressing his father just prior to be taken captive in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and praying for those who had followed him all the way to the end, these 11 and others that were there with him. Women who had ministered to him. Others that followed him all the way to the cross. They gathered. He says of these that were given to him by our Lord, specifically speaking of those who we would come to know as apostles, they have kept thy word. Now I want you to think about that a minute. Because we have followed their life from the time they were called from being a fisherman or a tax collector. And they have followed the Lord Jesus Christ these three years or so. And we have seen them. (laughs) And the covers have been pulled back on their struggles. And on their failures. And on their ignorance. But when it comes time for the Lord to pray for them and address his father concerning those who followed him, he says of them, they have kept your word. What an amazing statement. Because it ties together the instruction that he is giving them here in John chapter 14 and verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. And in verse 23, where he says, he... If a man love me, he will keep my words. They have kept thy word, he says of them. Over in the book of the Revelation, chapter 3, verse 8, if you want to just jot down that address, our Lord is speaking to his disciple John, the same one that wrote this gospel. And he says of the church at Philadelphia that they have kept his word. Revelation 3, verse 8. They have kept his word. Everything I said about our Lord's disciples in John 14 can also be said of all those who have been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the history of mankind. Every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has the word of God written upon their hearts and in their hearts they have a desire to obey it. That is there. So that it may be said of them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, when they step off this earth into glory. But, at the same time, at the same time that that is true, it can be said of every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that none of them, have kept his commandments in their perfection. None of them. Notice the statement, have kept his commandments in their perfection. It may also be said, secondly, that none have kept his commandments without at some point transgressing them. Before they were saved, They desire to keep them, and after they were saved, they also transgressed. Else why have they confessed their sin, which is a transgression of the law, before the Lord? Thirdly, none has kept his commandments with the pure love for them at all times. I believe it can be said of all Christians that sometimes we keep his commandments because we know it's the right thing to do. 
not because our heart is so overwhelming with love for that commandment, so overwhelming with an affection for our God that we must keep it out of purity of love. Instead, we look at it and we look at our life and say, this is the right thing to do. And I'm going to do what is right in this situation. Those three things are also true of us. God has written His Word on our heart. And we have a holy desire from the heart to obey Him. And yet, we find in reality that these three things are also true. Is it true, Brother Pat, what you have just said? You've made statements without the Scriptures to back them up. Can it be said this is true of the script from the Scriptures? Yes, brother. We'll see that in a minute. But the point I want to make is this. It is important to understand that our Lord is not keep speaking of keeping His commandments and His Word in their perfection, but instead He is speaking of keeping them from the heart. If you love Me, you keep My Word. From the heart. We see this truth borne out in the life of the Apostle Paul. Go with me because I want you to see it over to the book of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, sometimes I'll quote a verse and we'll continue on and not give you time to turn. But this morning I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. I want you to see for yourself what the Apostle Paul says about himself. In Romans chapter 7, verse 12, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 12, the Apostle Paul speaks of the law of God. He says, wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. He speaks of the law in glowing terms. He does not disparage it. He does not look down on it. He does not look at the law of God as though it were some evil thing that binds up his mind and conscience and heart and keeps him from freely serving the Lord Jesus Christ. No. Instead, he looks at it as something that is holy and something that is good. And then, then in verse 22, then in verse 22, he says, Romans chapter 7, 22, he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. From my heart, if you were to ask me about the law of God, I would say it is holy, it is good, it is right, and I delight in it. This is what I would say to you. This is written down under inspiration of God by the Apostle Paul himself. My love for it is a delight. I seek it because I delight in it. It is not a burden for me. I delight in it. But we also see that his love, love for the law of God, his love for the commandments of God, did not always translate into perfect obedience. Look with me in Romans chapter 7 verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. 
Here he is not advocating the false doctrine of a carnal Christian that is advocated by so many in our day. Here the word carnal means I am flesh. I am flesh. And I'm sold under sin. The law is spiritual, but I am flesh. That which is of the flesh is flesh. That which of the spirit is spirit. Here he says in Romans 7, 14, the law is spiritual. We know that. But I'm carnal. I'm flesh. And then in verse 18 he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there it is again, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But wait a minute. Does not the Holy Spirit dwell within him? Does he not have a heart renewed by God, regenerated, that loves God and loves his war, law, with the law of God written upon it? Yes, he does. He does. But he knows in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. Verse 19. For the good that I would... I do not. But the evil I would not, that I do. This is the confession of an apostle who has been many, many years serving the Lord Jesus Christ before this epistle to the Romans are written and who have written many other epistles before this one. For that good that I want to do I can't figure out how to do it in its perfection. I could add that because I think that is the summary of it all. And that evil which I don't want to do, I'll end up doing it. And then in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He speaks of himself as though he were tied to himself as a body of death. In his heart he loves the law of God. In his soul he delights in the love of God in the inner man. And yet tied to him. Uh, the, the old way that sometimes in the past someone would murder someone and they would tie the corpse to his body as punishment for murder. And he would walk around what days he had left with a rotting corpse on his body until he died from the rot of that corpse. What a horrible death that was. And Paul pictures himself as a wretched man with a body of death hanging on. Even though from the heart there is a love for God and His Word. From the inward man there is a delight in the commandments of God. Yet he carries something around him. The stench which he knows too real. To be too real. Again, I say it is important for us to understand that in John 14 and verse 21 our Lord is speaking of keeping his commandments and his word from the heart and not the perfection of the flesh why is this so important 
over the course of the history of Christianity and in our day, two errors have crept in dealing with this issue. The first error is this. I am saved by the grace of God. I do not need to concern myself with God's commandments. Nothing binds my mind or heart or conscience to the commandments of God because God has saved me by grace. I am under grace. I am not under law. Which, by the way, is a mistranslation of that text. But that's the sentiment of it. The second error is this that has crept in. If you are a Christian, you will be holy. And in fact, you will be so holy, you will be holy as God is holy. Isn't that what Peter said? Be ye holy as God has said, be ye holy as I am holy. Isn't that what the scripture says? And let's take that to its literal conclusion. If you're not holy as God is holy, then you got reason to question whether or not you're a Christian. You've got to be more holy than the Pharisees were. They kept every jot and tittle of the law of God. You've got to exceed that. Isn't that what Christ said? Except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Isn't that what he said? Misinterpreted again. If you are not this way, then you've got reason to question whether you're a Christian or not. And instead of the law being a light unto my path to walk with God from the heart. It is used as a bludgeon to beat me down under condemnation because I have failed in this point, though I have kept from the heart this much of it. Much of the writings of old men focuses on that second error. Our Lord, in John 17, verse 6 says, They have kept thy word. That's the testimony of Jesus Christ concerning his apostles. They have kept thy word. And when we're faced with statements like that, we cannot interpret it in its perfection. We know we can't. The rest of the scriptures cry out against it. Our own testimony as Christians cry out against it. It must be interpreted on the basis of if you love me, if this is coming out of your heart, then you keep it. At the same time, our Lord is teaching us that if we love him, we will keep his commandments and keep his words. We learn from that that the foundation of all Christian obedience must be love for our God and love for his word and his commandments. It must flow from that. The basis of all that we do as Christians must come from that. I love him and because I love him I want to do that and this and the other. Not if I don't do it, he's going to beat me down. He's going to strike me with lightning from heaven. I, I duck every time I make a mistake. No. No. I love him. And he loves me. And he has sealed me with his spirit and dwells with me. And 
I want to walk with him and he has promised to walk with me. The foundation of all Christian obedience, the fountainhead of all Christian obedience must be our love for God, for his commandments and for his word. He that loveth me shall be loved of my father, he says. With this statement, our Lord adds another facet of the love of God. He has told them that he loves them. And they know and believe that he loves them. In John 13, in verse 1, the scripture says, John 13, verse 1, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Very clearly, he says he loves them. And in John 13, in verse 34, he says it again, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. They know he loves them. They have been taught that he loves them. They have heard and that God loved the world and sent his son. They have seen the love of God. They are persuaded that they are loved of God. Now he speaks of them, of the Father's love. Though already mentioned a few times in John's gospel, but not with much detail. But first we lay this foundation. The Father's love for the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is no different than the Son's love for the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is one. The triune God love His people. The Father and the Son of God and the Spirit of God in one Undivided God loves the people of God. They don't have different forms of love. I sent out a devotion this morning from Spurgeon at correcting an error that the Son of God has this great love for you, but the Father is sort of just and mean and sort of strict. If that was going on in Spurgeon's day, it's still going on in our day. What a deluded mindset concerning the living God. That somehow or another they could be at odds with each other concerning whether a child of God should be loved or not. Our Father's love is no different than the love of the Son of God. It too is everlasting. It too is constant. And it is unable to be removed from the, uh, His adopted children. So it raises a question then. How are we to understand what is said in verse 21? He that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And in verse 23 where he says, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him. How are we to understand these statements? Well, the answer is this. We should understand it to be a love of approval for our obedience, not a love gained from the Father on the basis of our works. Let me make this statement again. We should understand it to be a love of approval for our obedience, not a love gained on the basis of our works. The language here seems to teach that God will only love you if you obey Him. The Catholics love this version, version, verse, and others like it, 
seem to teach that, but they discard all the rest of the teaching of the scriptures that says that before the foundation of the world, God has loved his people and shall love them for all eternity. Let me give you the example of what I'm talking about using those of us who have been parents. A parent who loves their child has loved them through all the stages of their growth. When they came into the world and they held that little seven pound, eight pound, nine pound baby in their hand, they loved him or her. They loved that baby. And then he turned one and two and he entered into what is called the terrible twos and, and maybe that went on a little bit further than the age of two and, and they are terrible for a reason. They start pressing their will against yours. And what does a parent do? Well, he, they love them. Of course they do. The parent loves them even while they're failing to learn the lessons of life being taught by their parents. This is what life is all about. This is what you should do. This is how you should think. This is how you should act. The parent loves them. The parent loves them. The parent loves them while they're sick and weak and frail and not able to do all that a child should be able to do in their home or for their parents. The parent loves them. Sitting up night, praying and weeping over them because they are sick, not able to be what a child should be. When the child obeys their parents out of a sense of duty, the parent loves their child and is pleased. But the parent knows that the child has not yet learned true obedience. Hasn't that been your experience? You see your child, son or daughter do something. You're angry because you've required it of them. They do it anyway. You love them, but you know they don't understand yet. But when a child obeys their parents out of love for them, and it happens, the parents, you know, here comes this little guy Mama, I made my bed and you didn't even have to tell me. I put my clothes away. You didn't even have to tell me. I cleaned this and thus and you didn't even have to tell me. Come and show me. And they grab that little hand and they, wow. And it may not be perfect. You know it's not. But you are well pleased. And you hug that child and as many expressions of approval how proud you are of them, how glad you are they did it without having been told, come out of your mouth. You have expressing, you are expressing a love of approval for what that child has done on their own accord. They did it from the heart. And you look at that bed and say, oh, it's not made right. No, you don't. You sort of straighten it up and say, wow, you did a good, great job. Right? You don't say, hey, you missed a spot here, right? Or, hey, wow, great job. Let's take care of this too. Oh, oh, I forgot, I forgot. Right? That's what is being spoken of in verse 21 and verse 23. 
verse 21 of John chapter 14. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and uh, manifest myself to him. It's a love of approval. I will love him. I will manifest myself to him. The word manifest comes from a Greek word which means to make known or to reveal or to testify. And what Jesus Christ is saying here and when he speaks of it concerning his father is that I and my father and by the way the spirit of God also will testify to you of our love for you. Our, you will sense our presence. You will know that we are with you. You will, we will, you will know that we are for you. We will testify that we are here in the midst of this as you are obeying us. It's not perfect obedience, is it? Still lacking something. And yet God says to his children, I will testify, I will make myself known to you. How many times has that happened to you? When you've obeyed the Lord and you had this sense of approval. Or you've sat in the early morning hours with your Bible and you've read and God drew near. And just the night before you're failed in some area or another. Or even that morning. And you've confessed it. And God has drawn near and his word becomes precious to you. God manifesting himself to you. In your obedience. God has been doing that from the point of your conversion. In Romans chapter 10, verse 20. Romans 10, verse 20. Write this verse down. Because in our conversion, God manifests himself to us. Paul writes in Romans 10, 20 and says, But Isaiah, speaking of Isaiah the prophet, is very bold, and saith, speaking of God, I was found of them that sought me not, I was manifest unto them that asked not for me. God came to us first, made himself known to us by regeneration, and then we asked of him. But prior to asking, God made himself known in our hearts, bringing us to life and bringing us to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As our teacher and as our guide from the day that you've been born again until now, God has manifest himself by teaching you. Do you realize that your knowledge of God's word in truth is a manifestation that you have been taught of God? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjonas. Flesh and blood has not taught you this, but my Father which is in heaven has taught you. Matthew 16. You are blessed of God. God drew near and taught you something. You didn't even know it. But God manifests himself to you in teaching you something. You know something of God's word this morning? It's because God manifests himself as a teacher to you. What about this? God manifesting himself as our friend. As we live a peaceful life in the world, as the whole world seems to be crumbling down around our ears, 
and persecution arising in every nation in the world. And yet the children of God are able to live peaceful. That itself is a manifestation that God has drawn near to you and given you something in the midst of this world. Given you His peace. God and His peace manifest to you in the midst of a world that hates Him. The reality of the world hating God's people is becoming more and more evident. And some have struggled with it. But when they kind of get along with God and kind of read the scriptures together, God settles their heart down again. Do you know what that is? That's God manifesting himself to you. What about as our advocate? When a child of God sins, sin is defined as a transgression of the law of God. When a, a child of God does not obey the command and he sins, instruction is given to us that when we sin, we are to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess our sins, our transgression of the law. And that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He stands in, according to John chapter 2, as our advocate in heaven. We confess that sin or those sins. And when, when we are able to rise from our confession and follow on after the things of true Christianity... Because in the depths of our heart, we know we've been forgiven. That is a clear manifestation that our advocate has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. At 3.30 this morning, I was awakened. I was praying. And I was reminded of something. And I confessed it, asking for cleansing. And I continued praying. And for those of you that are here and others who could not be here. And for those that I know in other places. And I rose up this morning and I'm thanking God for having cleansed me. Forgiven me. And praying that he would keep me. So when I stand before the people of God, I might deliver his word this morning. What is that? but a manifestation that my advocate interposed his blood to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God has been manifesting himself to the children of God in a multitude of ways, their whole Christian walk. Now the Lord Jesus Christ adds that when you are obedient to the commands of God, when you keep the words of God, that God draws near to manifest himself to you. He will show you himself in special ways, testifying that he is present with you to keep you, to sustain you, to help you. And so Judas, hearing those words, uh, says uh, unto the Lord, How is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we, 
together will come unto him and make our abode, our dwelling with him. He has already been teaching in previous verses of the Holy Spirit dwelling with him. So that all three persons, as I taught last week, dwell with the children of God. But now we have this special manifestation of God dwelling with us in the midst of our obedience. I have manifested thy name, he says, unto the men that thou gavest me out of the world, and they were, thine they were, and thou gavest me, and they have kept thy word. How is it that we obey God? We obey him from the law, from the love of our hearts. And how is it God manifests to us? Himself dwells with us. He shows us his love by testifying of his presence with us in our obedience. As that obedience is given from the heart, not in the perfection of the flesh. Are you saying, Brother Pat, I don't have to worry about getting it right? Does it sound like I'm saying you don't have to worry about getting it right? Would you take what I've just said over the last 45 minutes or so and say, Brother Pat doesn't believe that a Christian needs to get it right? Just get, you know, within the realm? No, I'm not saying that, am I? What I'm saying is if your heart is set on fire of God, if your heart is set on fire of God, There'll be something inside of you that desires to obey him. And when that comes out, it will not come out in its perfection, but it will come out. And when it comes out, God is going to approve of his child. Because they're not doing it out of a sense of duty or fear or dread, but it's coming right out of the heart. God abiding, dwelling with his people is a definition of true Christianity. It takes place in conversion. I will be their God and they will be my people. The presence of God in the heart and soul, that's true Christianity. God has come in and when God has come in, we're new, we're made new. We have a new life and a new heart, new desires. And that life is revealed in our obedience to the Lord's command and to his words. It is also revealed in a special manifestation of God's presence as we are obeying him. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 18, 19, uh, 17, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, 17, and 18, and 17 verse 1. God says, what agreement hath the temple of God, that's you, with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is what God says about his people. Verse 17, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be son, my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And the next verse says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, because we honor him and we worship him and we desire to please him. He that loveth me not, 
he starts to close out this section. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. Who are those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is he is speaking to unrepentant and unbelieving world. Including all the world's religions based upon the works based upon what they're teaching sinners to work, all professing Christian religions based upon some form of works, all of them do not keep his sayings. What our Lord said to the Jews is still true of all. You have not my, you have not his word, speaking of his Father, abiding in you, for whom he has sent you, believe not. All the efforts of religious men to get other religious men to obey the word of God or exercises in futility. Do you realize if you fill your church up with people that are unconverted and you have to try to get them to act like a Christian, what an enormous task that is. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. They either pretend or leave. And they keep filling their churches up with unconverted people. And then trying to teach them to live like Christians. When they have no heart for the thing. But still volumes have been written on how to live like a Christian. If you do this, if you do that, if you do this, you keep this. And how to live as a Christian. When God simply says, if you love me, this is how you live. What a difference. As men's libraries are full of volumes. Written to people who are trying to be a Christian. Trying their best. And you open up the word of God and it says. If you love me this is what you're going to do. And you got one verse instead of a library. All the efforts of religious men and to get other religious men to obey the word of God are exercises in futility. Nothing can produce Christian obedience except a new heart set on fire of God. Nothing can produce it. And in that new heart, there may be failures, there may be weaknesses, there may be things that have to be overcome. The whole of the scriptures testify to that. And, but in that new heart, something beats for God that wasn't there before. Something's there that wasn't there before. And it's there because God put it in there. So... Are we keeping his word from our hearts, brethren? Do we have a heart to seek to know God and his will? And then do it. As best we know and understand. Do you realize that a child that is three can be as obedient as an adult that is 30. And yet their obedience is different. Do you realize... That a new convert can be obedient, but a 
man who's walked with God 40 years knows something about obedience that this one doesn't. Yet both of them are obeying from the heart. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Some of you don't. But I was there. I remember those days. I remember the days I lived for myself, for my desires, my will, my hopes, my future. Thank God he interrupted that and changed that. And everybody that's been around me since 1975 knows Pat Horner's not the perfect Christian. But they also know this much. If I fail, I repent. And if I can't get there, I'm going to keep trying till I do. Not because I'm afraid of what God might do and beat me up, but because I love him for saving me. He saved me. He forgave me. No one could have done that for me but him. And if you're here without Christ this morning, he's the only one who can make you a Christian. He's the only one can put in your heart a love for Him and His Word. And the only one who can keep you after many years so that 40 years or 30 years or 50 years later you can still say, I love the Lord. And I look back and I see all of this and see what God has done. I also see that I have turned here and I turned there, but God brought me back and God helped me along the way. And I got 50 years of testimony from God himself that he manifest himself to me in the summer of 1975 and has continued to do that until this day 40 years plus of testimony come to the Lord Jesus Christ he's the only one who can do that for you let's pray together